Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a pleasure to introduce this podcast. In it, we'll be discussing the paper by Schiariti, Selb, Kietzer and O'Donnell, entitled International Classification of Functioning, Disability and Health Corsets for Children and Youth with Cerebral Palsy, Consensus Meeting, which is in the February 2015 issue of the journal. It will be discussed by Dr. Veronica Schiariti, Developmental Pediatrician at the Child and Family Research Institute, Department of Pediatrics, University of British Columbia, Canada, who is the first author, and Dr. Sigrid Ostensio, who is a physiotherapist at Oslo University College, Oslo, Norway. Uh, please can we start with you, Veronica, to outline the paper and its context. Well, this paper describes the final step of the development of the ICF corsets for children and youth with cerebral palsy, the pediatric version of the International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health, which I'm going to refer to as ICF, was published in 2007 and has been a major contribution to the field of pediatric disability. The ICF is based on a biopsychosocial model, which allows a multidimensional approach to the description of health and functional abilities and challenges. The ICF incorporates the terms of functioning, meaning what a child with a health condition can or is able to do every day. Functioning is an umbrella term that includes the components, body structures and body functions, and activity and participation. Importantly, the ICF incorporates the role of contextual factors and on functioning, especially environmental and personal factors. The units of analysis of the ICF are called ICF categories, denoted by alphanumeric codes. And the ICF coding system includes different levels uh, depending on the amount of information that the user wants to collect. They might choose a, to use a chapter level, a higher level of organization, or a second, third, or fourth level of the classification, which is a more detailed level of organization. There are approximately 1,700 categories in the pediatric version of the ICF which is a major challenge to the application of the ICF in day-to-day practice. Therefore, that is a major challenge, and to facilitate the application, ICF-based tools have been developed, and one of those are the ICF corsets. Specifically, the ICF corsets are a short list of categories that are considered most relevant for describing functioning in a population with a specific health conditions. There are no ICF corsets for pediatric population, so our research group, in collaboration with the ICF research branch of the WHO Collaborating Center for the Families of International Classifications, led the development of the first ICF corsets for pediatric population, and in this case, cerebral palsy. So we adapted the ICF corsets development methodology endorsed by the WHO for pediatric population, so we included the developmental trajectories that children follow from birth to adulthood, and the different settings that are relevant for children, such as home, school, and the community. We follow a rigorous data collections. We completed a preparatory phase of study from 2009 to 2013. So that phase included four independent studies, included a systematic review, where we identify all the outcome measures used in studies with CP and we conducted content analysis of those measures. We then uh, conducted an international expert survey. We invited experts from all WHO regions with multidisciplinary backgrounds from health, education, and social sectors. 
We conducted a qualitative study, which was very important. We interviewed children and youth with cerebral palsy and their caregivers. We collected information about what are the relevant areas of functioning from their perspective. And finally, we conducted a clinical study where we identified main functional areas that are assessed in clinical encounters. We translated all the information from those studies into the ICF language, specifically the ICF categories, following published linking rules. After completing the preparatory phase of the project, we moved to phase one, which was the conducting a consensus meeting. So this paper outlined the results of that consensus meeting that took place in Vancouver in 2013. So basically, we presented all the information collected during the preparatory phase of the project to an international group of experts, and the task for them was to develop the first version of the ICF corset for CP. The experts uh, represented different professional backgrounds and all WHO regions. 26 of those experts attended the meeting, and importantly, we invite a parent who was part of the consensus meeting, and she was a mom of a young lady with cerebral palsy. So during those three days of the meetings, the experts review one by one all the categories that were identified during the preparatory phase of the study, and they developed the first version of the corset, which included a comprehensive corset, a common brief corset, and three age-specific corsets. And I very much like to congratulate you, Dr. Schiatti, and your colleagues with this important work of developing the ICF corset for children and youth with cerebral palsy, and which is the first corset for, for children. And I have followed this whole process with a great interest. And as you know, in the field of pediatric rehabilitation and cerebral palsy, the ICF has proved to be a useful conceptual framework for understanding and studying functioning and disability. But it is, as you have mentioned, been a challenge to implement this exhaustive and complex classification in research and clinical practice. And one way to facilitate this is development of the ICF course sets. So, my first question for the discussion is, why is it important to have internationally developed ICF courses for children and youth with cerebral palsy, you think? Um, I think it is important to have an international tool like the ICF courses uh, because as you mentioned, the ICF uh, use, you know, a universal language and it's important for comparisons across studies, across countries, and to implement new efficient interventions, you need to conduct studies using the same framework methodology. I think the corset will allow standardization of research studies and approaches of assessment, and that will lead to improvements in interventions and adoptions of new efficient interventions. So that's one point. The other one mm -hmm. is that there are available functional classifications right now, but they target specific areas like gross motor, fine motor, communication, or eating and feeding, mm -hmm. but there are none that really include contextual factors and the important role, and I think they're missing that part and they're focusing on specific areas and we need a more comprehensive view representing all ICF components, and I think the courses brings that. 
it is important to agree on what is important to measure in children with cerebral palsy and to guide multidisciplinary assessment and intervention planning and research, as you mentioned. And I think also to facilitate existing outcome measures, as you also mentioned in your papers, it is important. So I, like you, think that the ICF courses will facilitate the application also of the ICF in research and clinical practice, because as far as I know from Norway, they most use the conceptual framework, but not the classification. It's also a way to facilitate the application of the ICF, I think. Exactly, and uh, we also provide in the paper user instructions to really yes. guide the audience and the readers yes. on the steps on how to apply them. And so the first one is exactly outlined the purpose that is a description of the functional profile of children and youth age 0 to 18 with cerebral palsy. And then t and the second step is to guide the assessment and evaluation process, and that's exactly the categories are used as a framework, as, you know, as a reference of which are the main areas to be assessed or report in a research study. And uh, through the exercise that we have done on content analysis of different measures, the courses can be framework to the selection of the specific or appropriate measures. We are currently uh, working on comparison of measures to the specific categories of each one of these corsets. So the comprehensive have 135 categories, the common brief 25, and the age-specific range from 31 to 37 categories. Mm -hmm. We'll end it up identifying the best psychometrically sounded measures that align with the content of the measure. So I think that's a big contribution for researchers and clinicians on how to guide the selection of uh, measures. Yes, I think that is a very important word to get more common outcome measures, not to use a lot of different outcome measures in studies of cerebral palsy. So I think that's a extremely important work you are doing now. But you also argue in your article that the ICF corset can contribute to an individualization of assessment and interventions for children with CP. Yeah. So my question is, how do you think it can contribute to individualization and not to a standardization of an assessment? I think the ICF included the component personal factors, which means, you know, a specific characteristic of the child, which include choices and preferences, and that will guide individualized planning or goal planning. So I think mm -hmm. that component, even though the ICF does not have a specific categories, we encourage to include with the corset, the components, you know, personal factors and include choices, preference, and interest in every single assessment. Mm. But how will you select the categories included in this individual profile of the child when we don't have a classification of personal factors? How to select which factors are important for the individual child? Do you have any thoughts about that? If you have already categories in the corset, the idea is to guide the functional goals based on the interest of the child. 
So it just, you know, it will vary from tile to tile, but it will help the group to focus on certain areas. Like usually in cerebral palsy, people focus on mobility or some certain areas of self-care, but the child might express different interests and um, maybe in the area of recreation and leisure. So that means like the whole team should shape and target the intervention towards including what are the choices or interests of that specific child. Yes, so that is the way you will include personal factors, not personal factors themselves, but focusing on the child's motivation for some activities. Yes, exactly. Now I think we can go on to discuss the results from the consensus meeting that is reported in the article. Do you think that the somewhat skewed representation of experts I don't find any psychologists, or there are a few speech therapists and also a few parents. Do you think that this skewed representation have any importance for the final decision on which categories to include in a comprehensive and brief corset? So we have acknowledged the limitations of the study. Yeah. I think the contributions of the courses are beyond the limitations, but are important to discuss the limitations. So we made a big effort to get a representative sample of experts. So speech and language pathologists, psychologists, nurses were part of that, but unfortunately they did not attend the meeting. So that's an area that we need to consider. I think the application and the validation process that is ongoing right now in different countries we have middle-income and low-income countries already starting the validation yes. process that includes, again, an uh, expert survey, which includes the professions that are low or misrepresented in the consensus meeting, and a qualitative study. So we want those studies to validate the content of the court sets in different countries. And they, all the studies will follow the same methodology again, and so we will compare across countries and uh, revise the first version of the corsets. I think that's a very important work to do this validation in different settings and countries. And have you also think about the validation, the corsets for different subgroups, subtypes of cerebral palsy? You know, the idea of the corset is to include children with mild to severe presentation yes. of GMF CS levels 1 to 5. So on purpose, we didn't divide it, the, the corset into those levels. We want to include all levels of functioning in mm-hmm. the corset. So that was something that we considered, but we thought we wanted something practical and feasible. If you start Subdividing each one of the corsets is quite confusing if people are choosing on using just one subtype of corset, something like that. We thought it was more practical to organize the corset according to the age groups and not the functional profile of the kids. Yes, but I was not talking about the functional uh, profile. I, I, I was talking about the validation studies now to validate it 
to see if it fits for different uh, subtypes of cerebral palsy and how it fits, particularly the body functions and structure component. I think it's important to look at in, in validation studies, not to, to make uh, more specific courses, but to look at this as to look at the settings that are used in, the differences between, differences between countries, and so on. I think that's important parts of a validation study, to look at these factors, to yeah. see if, it, if it's, uh, it's the most important categories for all these subtypes of CPCs. Since CIPA is a very heterogeneous condition, it's not a one diagnosis, it's a several diagnoses in an umbrella a diagnosis called CP. To comment on that, we consider that, and that's why each one of the studies of the preparatory phase studies collected information on all levels of functioning. If you can review each one of the studies have been published and are available to the readers, so each one of those included the categories that, that we collected through the preparatory phase studies represent all levels of functioning. So each one of the studies have a good representation of mm. level one to five. So that was a consideration. I understand yes. your suggestions that could be further work. That's right? further work, yes. So I'd like to go on to discuss the application of the courses in research and clinical practice. And I find the use of instructions really excellent guidelines for the selection of and the use of the different courses. However, for clinical research, the lack of important functions such as communications in some of the age group-based brief courses, as discussed earlier, can make it necessary to add some categories from the comprehensive courses to these brief courses. What do you think about such elaborating practice to add some categories from the comprehensive courses in studies, for, for example, if you are studying communication, to uh, add the concepts and categories from the comprehensive courses into the brief courses. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good suggestion. The idea is that the courses, you know, represent a short list and it was, yeah. you know, like for the expert, it was a huge work to make them concise and practical. So there were a lot of debate and uh, voting and discussions about which categories made the cut. So there were some categories that were not included, and in this case, in the common brief, you know, some areas of communication. So you are pointed exactly um, an important area that the corsets are flexible, so you can add some categories, but yeah. the whole idea was to make something practical and feasible so in further revisions, I expect that some areas of communications will be added. Like mm -hmm. for now in the application, I'm sure that you can add those. If your population, you are seeing more and more kids with functional communications challenges, you know, it's totally correct to add categories from the comprehensive to, to add up those categories to the mm -hmm. common brief. That's not a problem. And as you also mentioned in the article, is that the courses are not outcome measures, but a description of a child's level of functioning. And you suggest to use the ICF generic qualifiers to indicate the extent of disability, from no impairment, activity limitations, or participation restriction, to a complete impairment or activity limitation of participation restriction. 
Fab, as mentioned in the commentary on the article by Virginia Wright, this case needs further operalization for each category and also followed reliability testing before it can be used in clinical practice as well as in research. Are you also doing some further work on the use of this scale for the categories included in the in the course sets? Yeah, so the qualifiers, like in the user instructions, we included that as a final step. So if once you selected the measures that you want to use and if you want to summarize the functional profile of the child, a suggestion is to add up the qualifiers to each one of the categories to have a description, a picture that may facilitate the discussions with the team and even the discussions and sharing the information with the parents, which, you know, we have seen that that really it's a, a practical and very graphical way to discuss abilities and challenges. So the zero means no problem, no concerns, and that means a strength. So, you know, sometimes it's really good to start the discussions showing all the good things and the abilities that the children are able to do. So in that sense, I think it's a good use of the qualifiers. And for sure, if you use that for research, you need to test the reliability of that and the meaning of each one of the qualifiers. It's been, you know, like that's the main thing. It's just descriptors. This is, you know, the corsets, even with the qualifiers, are not assessment tools. So you cannot add up the qualifiers. They're not a quantifiable or a final score. So we have to highlight that. The corsets are a framework, and it's a descriptive way of summarizing abilities and challenges in in day-to-day, but these are not assessment tools. So from our side, the next step is to create a psychometrically sound measure that will produce a final score and using, you know, rationalysis or that, you know, the final score will be a relevant and meaningful a number, if you want, and is not a rating scale like the qualifiers. So I think it's useful when you use them as a descriptors, but I don't think that you can do further work with the qualifiers. That's, um, and it could be confusing because people might be using them as an assessment and not descriptor. Um, mm. So we have to be cautious about that. Yes, I very much agree with you. But if you are using these qualifiers as descriptors of the level of functioning, who is going to rate the severity of the problem? Is it the child or the parents or the young child or the researchers or the clinicians or the clinicians? You know, the main recommendation is that this is a clinical judgment. So after a thorough assessment, the team has to decide you know, based on their impressions on the level of functioning, and that's the choose of the qualifier, the zero to four. You can have input from caregivers, and that will guide you or even the the children, but usually this is the information that you present to the family and child, so usually it's the, the team who assign and decide the final qualifier. But I also know examples where the child or the parents or the younger children have decided on the severe level of of the functioning problem. 
so that is a is a possibility too i i think yeah. and you have also included the environmental factors in the description but there are some problems with environmental factors because in one environmental factor, such as a powered wheelchair, can be a facilitator in one situation and a barrier in another, depending yeah. on the physical environment. I think that's a problem with the ICF qualifiers. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think there are many examples, as you mentioned, that the same category can be rated as a barrier or facilitator, I guess it will depend on what's the purpose of the assessment and who's reporting. So if you have from the professional or the interdisciplinary team, they can rate something as a barrier or facilitator, and then you can compare, as you mentioned, if, if you're asking the caregivers of the parents to report on the qualifiers, you might have a different perspective. I guess like it will depend on the purpose of the assessment and the intervention. If you think that's an area that should be focus of an intervention from the team or from the parents, you have to decide who's going to report and who's going to guide the, mm. the setting of the goals. And I guess you should concentrate on that and on which perspective you are going to follow. Yes, I agree with you. I think this is a very impressive work, and I'm very glad to hear that you are going on with it and to test the validity of this first version of the classification. So I look forward to read, read the coming papers on further development of the ISEC courses for, for children with cerebral palsy. So I invite everybody to read the paper and apply the courses and contact our group if they have any questions. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Many thanks indeed to Dr. Veronica Sieriti and Dr. Asensu for a very interesting discussion, which helped very much put the corsets in context. Just to remind readers, the article is International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health Corsets for Children and Youth with Cerebral Palsy Consensus Meeting by Sieriti et al. in the February 2015 issue.